Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It is the three of us together again after a lovely weekend. Lee and I spent together. We missed you, Jeremy. Um, we tried to keep you. You okay? Go ahead. Yeah, not a little annoyed, but go ahead. Okay. We tried to keep you up to date. Um with our progress, we did we did some lovely wine tasting. Had some mm. f- as a couple night fun nights out, a couple great meals. Um, and hey, Chapin, remember we had a, a couple great meals too. We did, we did. We had a nice yeah. steak together, which I wish Lee and I had done. Oh yeah, you wish Lee would. Have our done meal it. was good, but it was not enough. That's no, why I went. Wasn't. That's why I had wings after. We had wings after. Yeah, classic, classic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but. We watched some films. It was a, yeah, we watched some films together. It was a rainy Saturday and Lee and I decided to go see Dune in person at the movie theater in IMAX, the best format you can see it in. And so this week. The first time, first, I should note, the first time Chapin and I have seen a movie together in the movie theater since probably we lived together in Los Angeles. Chapin, did he, did he interrupt you all the time? He did. When you watching the movie? 13 years ago. It was outrageous. Um, and so today, this week, we're, we're going to be reviewing Dune, um, and here's the trailer. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? A boy! Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. Okay, guys. Um, so, Lee, I speaking of our weekend, I was a little bit surprised because uh, you and I went to go see, decided to go see Dune in the theater on on Saturday and my friend Kevin and I who did the um, Star Wars podcast with me way back before COVID um, were really excited about Dune he was getting me trying to get me to watch the uh, to, to read the book which I'm in the process of doing and we watched the David Lynch movie two days ago um, but I didn't quite realize how big a phenomena this movie became Lee you and I encountered several groups of people uh, over the weekend who had gone to see the film that I was not, and I was a little bit surprised with. Um, we met with Nadir on Friday who would, who actually went to go see it. And then you and I hung out with two of my friends after they, just after they had seen it on Saturday. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody else, but a lot of people I know saw it. Um, so I'm wondering, I was really, really surprised by that. I, I'm wondering why, uh, I'm wondering why, this movie is a phenomena right now. Uh, and maybe it's just because there's nothing else to see in theaters. Um, that wasn't my main question, but I would like to address that. But my main question is, is this. Um, uh, uh, 
I'll come out right away and say that I, I think Dune is a flawed film. Certainly not a perfect film. But it's one of those movies that is that for me works so well in some areas that it's very, very easy to overlook some of the things that didn't work. Um, that is my ex- sort of to, to, to sort of hold hold my cards close to the vest. That's sort of my push. And I'd like to ask you guys, without addressing Dune, can you guys give me some examples of films are, that are like that for you? Almost like guilty pleasures, not quite, but like movies that are just like so good at something you're willing to overlook that. And why is that for us? Why why do we not look at the whole picture? Why do these like awesome moments and maybe they don't for you guys. Maybe I, I imagine Jeremy is someone who needs the whole experience to work. Um but uh yeah, Lee, do you have a thought? Yeah, um would you like me to address that or your first question first? Let's do the first one, sorry. Okay, so the the phenomenon of doom is very interesting to me because I was aware of the David Lynch movie and not, I mean, I knew there was a book, but not super aware of that and its following. I can only imagine that the book has a massive following because, or the books have a massive following because the movie is terrible from what I've seen. I saw about half of it and not just bad. It's like poorly made. The, the visual effects are terrible and it's very dated. So even if there's a little bit of like a cult following to that, that can't be big enough for the excitement that has surrounded Dune. So I think that the books must be very, very popular. Um, and other than that, like, you know, that like you said, this is a big movie coming out directed by the same guy that did Blade Runner 2049. It's got a lot of actors that, are very very popular right now i think in particular timothy chalamet and zendaya you could throw jason momoa in there there's a lot of other actors that we really like but just in terms of the you know general public chalamet and zendaya are are huge so throw all that stuff together i think you have audiences coming from a lot of different directions and that may explain why this movie is so big um to answer your second question, I mean, only a couple movies came immediately to mind. Movies like Jurassic Park, Apollo 13. You know, these are movies I just refuse to see flaws in. And I think that generally what causes that is what you latch on to initially. Now, those two are good examples of movies that I loved growing up. And so there's a nostalgia. So when I watch them even now, that can overshadow any, you know, film critiques I may have of them. Um, And if you were to translate that to Dune, there's a lot of things, like you mentioned in this movie, that could, for lack of a better word, distract you from its flaws. Um, They are things that we are drawn to. And so I think it makes a lot of sense, Chapin, that that may have happened here for you. And I don't think we should necessarily hold that against ourselves. I mean, maybe as podcasters trying to critique a movie, we have to try to avoid that but look like Chapin I think especially you and I and we've talked a lot about how we've loosened the critics hat quite a bit and Jeremy has too but like you said I think he is looking for a whole picture a little bit more 
um, aggressively we, than we are. We talked a little bit about our, our shared roles on the podcast while you were visiting. And I mean, Jeremy, you are the most objective viewer among us. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's why we miss your opinion when Lee and I are just like, you know, going off on Miami vice. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And I think that was an entertaining pod, but like not a, uh, particularly unbiased one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I have a few questions okay. for this. For this question, it's like, I'll what else did you guys do this weekend when I wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, well, well, had a real. We'll, we'll attitude, get into that a on a, on a private whole. discussion. <laughs> um. Okay. So, what were the? F- all right, don't answer this right now, but the question is, what are the big flaws you saw, Chapin? Don't answer it right now, but that's what I'm kind of wondering. I mean, I don't, I didn't find any flaws in this movie so egregious where I had to ignore them. Hmm. And that there's a distinctive line there. Um, I guess if I had to pick a movie where I, I ignore flaws, uh, the first one that comes to my mind is is actually Forrest Gump, which has... Very, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a, good a one. lot of flaws, but it's just, it's just, it just works. Yeah. So, um, there's that. Um, I, I don't, want, I don't want to, I don't want to come off saying that like Dune had a lot of flaws. I'm saying like when I look at it, I realize that it's not a perfect movie. But I mean, to me, this is the first movie that I can remember, and. This is a bold statement, and maybe there are are, are movies in between, but this is the first movie I can remember since Star Wars that really built a new world that I actually believed in and believed those characters in. Um, Absolutely. And and it, it balanced that darkness and lightness the mood of it was not like every everything nowadays is trying to be too like very dark and moody and like real and gritty but yes that was there but also there was a lightness to it that you could you could in, you can envision the world without the worst of the world if that makes any sense totally totally i mean i i i think this is this is villeneuve's genius like uh, I was trying to think, like, what what defines him as a filmmaker? What makes him so good? And like, he just, you know, I, I think like uh, maybe my statement applies better to. Um, oh, I should have opened a bottle of wine. Damn it. Um, maybe applies better to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Like, but what I, are I, the flaws? Like, Taven, you haven't addressed what those flaws are. I I don't I like there there, with the exception of Rebecca Ferguson. No performance really. Oh, uh, is she the doctor? No, she's no, she's the, the mother. The mother. Uh, who was the doctor? She was not great. Who the doctor? Yeah, the doctor that was or, or the judge. I should say. Sorry, not the doctor. The judge between the two worlds. Oh, um, I don't know that actress's name. I just thought her performance was not good. Okay. Um, well, I, I just, I, I just didn't find like I didn't find the performances 
to blow my socks off. And so I, I think like that's fine. Like these are the roles they're but playing. But neither in Star Wars. No, no, you're absolutely right. That's what I mean. And that's why it's easy to overlook, right? Like we're like we've got these. We've got Timothy Chalamet. We've got um, uh, we've got uh, Josh Brolin. We've got Javier Bardem, Zendaya. Um, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. And the, they're not like, they're not really challenged in the way that we've seen those people be challenged before, but they're creating this world. And like, I kind of thought Josh Brolin was bad. <laughs> um, I liked Momoa, for example, but you know, this is, this is, this is not about the acting. And so for like little things like that, um, I, 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 they were very easy to overlook, but yes, you're exactly right. Like Villeneuve like builds this world. And what I was saying about 2049 is like that movie, I think was a little bit of a disappointment for people because it just didn't like... I don't know. It wasn't just like this, this like extra, oh, excuse me, this extraordinary thing. But 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 Villeneuve built a world that was totally believable, both in like what what a what our society could look like in thirty years, and as a sequel to this, you know, movie, this revered movie that built a world back in nineteen eighty one and or eighty two or whatever it was, um, and he just like. He just did such a good job with that here. And it was extraordinary. And like the music and the cinematography, the look, the production design, like A plus plus on every level. You know, is this story like super compelling? Maybe it's kind of one we've seen before, this Messiah idea, but um that's not Villeneuve's fault. A lot to cover there. Because um, I agree with you guys. The the one I think, the one glaring thing that you just mentioned, Chapin, you know, the set design, cinematography, the world building, all of that is on one hand very impressive. But something that I kind of mentioned to you when we left, Chapin, and granted this was like an immediate reaction. I've had some time to process it. I've watched it a little bit on HBO Max to try to, revisit this movie, I'll continue to do so, of course, is I think if you combine, you know, that big set design with these massive action scenes with big set pieces and hundreds of extras and Hans Zimmer's score, at times it's a bit of overload. Mm. And I think that, you know, the size of this movie, the scale of this movie was, was a challenge for me. Sometimes, not always, because I look at it and I'm like, this is great. This is what this movie should be. This is a big story. This is an epic. So let's follow suit. And I think a visionary like Villeneuve is so well suited and has all the talents to make that work in a very cohesive and accessible way. One credit I really gave this movie was its accessibility, both story and scale. Like, all these like massive scenes are going on. There's all this, you know, these foreign characters, Fremen, the Atreides, the Harkonnen, the, the Bene Gesserit, different planets, all this stuff is going on. And I followed it really easily. And there's all these big battle scenes with these ships landing. And I always knew what ship it was and where it was landing. And that takes a talented filmmaker to pull that off. We've seen that turn into a disaster. When you just have, you know, a lot of money to spend on visual effects and you have no idea what's going on. So I give it a lot of credit, but there was some sensory overload in this movie for sure for me. It sounds like you were a little down on it, Lee. You know, 
I haven't really completely decided. I don't think I'm as high on it as either one of you guys. But I think a huge reason for that is that the most interesting part of this story didn't actually happen yet. We might see that in part two. Um, right. Which is, which is a question I have, and I meant to ask, was meant to be part of my questions before we started this podcast, but we'll, we'll get to that in the part two. But um, let's talk about, let's continue. <laughs> in four years. <laughs> let's continue the part one discussion. Um, I don't know. There was something, like the whole Messiah aspect of it bothered me a little bit to an extent. Like there was a point in me which made me cringe a little bit. Like, so I, I, well, here's my thing about like, biblical stories are trite at this point, but when they're done well, like the Bible is full of interesting stories. So like right, but like to me it. like also like the so it it seemed like such an allegory for America, but in what in the wars we've recently tried to uh, attempt in Iraq and Afghanistan and going after oil here at Spice and and like taking over the people and trying to make a democracy out of them, like it seemed perfect for that but also the movie was made way before in this i mean the book was written way before in the 60s Uh, so we've been chasing oil and trying to (laughs) yeah no it's a little prophetic and it's also a little it it probably could could read the writing on the wall which it was almost too on the nose weirdly with that stuff which i thought i thought was interesting but see, I'm not. I'm. I have no issue with themes being on the nose. Like, I actually get more frustrated when when filmmakers try to be overly subtle with themes. Like yeah. they're like they want to be smarter. No, I didn't than have their an audience. issue with like, it either. And that's what I mean about this movie being very accessible, right? Like y- you can understand the themes. You can understand where the story is going. You can follow all the characters and their motivations. And the, and and the, the thing about it is, it's not even. And, <clears throat> it's not even themes. It's like literally just resources humans need resources they're going to go after those resources wherever they may be it's not necessarily oil in iraq it's whatever it may be and that's that's sort of a universal and by when i use the word universal i mean it like universe like that that could happen anywhere when you need the resource you go after it and this is what may happen yeah, I mean, I think what what's interesting about Herbert's work here is that the spice is not as sort of, if I forgive the pun, crude as oil. Oil, right? It's, yeah, it's right it's, on the surface. It's it's something that, like, yes, it helps. I mean, we, I, you get a really clear explanation of it in the in David Lynch's dude, but like, it helps essentially the navigators of. I mean, it's pretty clear in this to, one too. Yeah, like, to like get high and like figure out how to <laughs> get through space, but then it kind of grants long life to the free the fremen and gives them kind of like heightened abilities, and then it does something different for um for our protagonist for Chalamet. Um, and I think that is pretty interesting, like. You know, oil is pretty, like, all it does is burn and 
make heat and then we can run things by it and we can move around that's fine but but this this is, makes it interesting and like obviously there's a lot of drug culture related to dune like um herbert was experimenting with mushrooms um at the time which, which i also did this weekend so that's interesting um so <laughs> just because just to kind of get in the frame of mind of dune that was yeah it. yeah it's the best way to po- best and, and way to prep to for the podcast. Cri- crippling depression um but yeah uh the so like to me that makes this more interesting um and, uh, you know, the, the spice is kind of like further explored in Lynch's Dune. Of course, like Lynch's Dune is not as long as this and covers the entire book. Um, Books. Yeah. B- well, the right? one book. Doesn't just, it? No, just one book. Oh, for some reason I thought Lynch covered like the whole Dune story. No, 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 no. It's, it's oh. just that book. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so i think i I think that that makes the story inherently more interesting I, I I do find the Messiah thing a little tired. I mean, like we saw this in the Matrix, and of course, like all these books, Star Wars included not books movies, take inspiration from dune I mean obviously okay. right so but like I will say this is just like right up my alley, all the big spaceships and the all that stuff, the intergalactic wars like this is what I live for. Right, I'm curious, but this though. movie this movie doesn't like hinge on that. Like it doesn't no, it doesn't and I don't think it's primarily what that, that the aspect is about either. Right? That's I, just part yeah. of what you have to do, which I love. That's what okay. I love about it. Yeah. Me too. And that's and that's what I, and even in like the first like I don't know, thirty minutes that I've been able to rewatch on HBO Max, I've started to realize like how effective this movie balances all these things right like you have the scale you have these cool spaceships these these you know competing families these different planets all this stuff the spice all that but you throw in the messiah storyline and maybe some of the themes or you know obvious themes that you're talking about jeremy and they all work really nicely together they all kind of flow and i'm curious chapin and maybe you too, Jeremy, like without the Messiah storyline, like what is this movie or is there some, like what's in place of it? Cause I think it's really important and I like it. Like, even though we've seen, it I don't before, know. And I'm, I'm anxious to find out. I, I am. I would say that that storyline is my favorite part of the movie, even though we haven't actually gotten to that story yet, but the relationship right, I, between Chalamet my... and Rebecca Ferguson, the mother and son, I think is, is really great and like look it's all very obvious right like you have this this supposed messiah in the desert with his mother like this is all very biblical and i think it's very interesting that this movie kind of isn't shy about it can i ask my stupid question please yes on air on the podcast yep all right so like two days ago i get a uh alert because i get alerts on my phone that Mm. The, the next dune that they're gonna they're gonna green light it yep and then I go to the movie and uh, I I watched half I, I watched half a movie literally a half a yeah. movie that I, there was no ending to this movie assuming that they already knew oh they were yeah going, that's a big question I don't know that they were when going production to do started, it 
So I, I, I'm very confused how they only did this movie, stopped production, and then didn't have so the next one ready. Evidently, Villeneuve said that he didn't want to try to do like a Lord of the Rings style thing. It would just have been too big, too much all at once on the crew, everything. Yeah. Got so it. that was Makes one sense. aspect of it. But I'm with you. Like, it's weird that Warner Brothers had yeah. not already greenlit a second movie and as a and in doing so or in not doing so Villeneuve made this movie right cuz it's not a movie it's not a movie without like it's not it doesn't have an ending but it says no. part 1 at the beginning of the movie it does know, say part 1 that's what's that like, could have been put in any time about it <laughs> well no that, they could have no, but they, they could have put part I, I'm not part saying they knew they were going to make the movie but they made it and if it failed they wouldn't make part 2 I mean, I don't think that's. I that know, weird. but it's interesting to me to to greenlight a script and for Villeneuve to make a movie that so clearly is not the end of a story. Done. It's not Literally like Master and Commander. Master and Commander can stand on its own, right? I would have loved to have seen the rest of those books adapted, but that movie has a beginning, middle, and an end. There's still hope. Sure. And starring Russell Crowe. To- <laughs> Russell Crowe has his own to- boat yeah, because gonna- he weighs too much on the front of it. He's sinking the ship. Um, but no, this, I- this movie is is missing the rest of the story. So it's interesting that it went forward without the guaranteed part Look, two. Look, if this didn't have an... Like, if, if we didn't know there was another movie coming, I would have a completely different review because it's an incomplete work. Yeah, it's, it's also like, supposedly it's literally a series stopping, coming, starring it's Rebecca stopping Ferguson. stopping a painting halfway through. It's it's, it's an, an incomplete work. Well, look, I I am I think that the part that part two is going to bring the most interesting aspects of this story, right? right? And we we get to that, and that's it's interesting enough to get there, but to not ever have that would be like, right? But what let's are we stick doing? with this movie because I have a question regarding that. Knowing part two is coming, knowing kind of the direction that's going to go with the character of Paul Atreides, with Tim- Timothy Chalamet and his mother and the and the Fremen, it, it did make me question, what is part one about? What are well, we watching? You know, is it I all bring... set up? Yeah, I would say so. It's, it's most, I mean. So how are we okay with that? I, I mean, because I actually it was don't very think interesting it, I don't think it is we, all set up. Okay, let's talk about. I it. think the I think part one is, um, I mean it's it's. What, what, I'm sorry. What is the character's name? Um, what's what's his name? Who? Chalamet's. Paul. Uh, Paul Atreides. Paul. Sorry. So Paul. This is Paul's story. So hold on. Before you go on, Chapin, can we just talk about how Paul is such a bad name and how every time they go. Paul, it's pretty bad. It's not quite to... as bad as Duncan Idaho. Um, I mean, that, like <laughs> in, a, in a world where it's like Atreides and Harkonnens, like Duncan yeah. Idaho. Well, yeah, that sounds like he's from Idaho. <laughs> at least it's not Paul in the middle of the fucking alien world. Well, imagine that name being spewed a bunch of times. My name's to, uh, my name's but in the David Oregon. in the David Lynch version with um, uh, what's his name playing Paul Atreides. I mean, from you could change it. Like, you Kyle could change McLean. it for the movie. Paul is a from, terrible yeah, Kyle name McLaughlin. for this. Okay, well, here's what I'll say. So that is Paul. It is Paul's story, but let's call the first half the Duke story, right? He's going to this planet where 
he Oscar Isaac Oscar Isaac knows that something something bad is going to happen like and he hopes that they can try to do it but he doesn't have a lot of faith that it's going to work should and we it, outline what and it does the, a yeah, little okay. bit of this so so uh the emperor who we don't see um yet which is uh truthful to the book uh takes away a um Arrakis which is Dune uh which is a planet where this spice that basically allows intergalactic travel throughout the galaxy and thus makes it the most valuable substance in this universe. Uh, he takes that planet away from the Harkonnens, who are these evil, rich people, um, and gives it to the Duke. Um, but the reason he's doing that is because Duke Le- Leto Atreides is very well respected in this universe, and people listen to him, and the Emperor is jealous of that. And so he he's hoping that the Harkonnens will, with his help, destroy the Atreides for taking over um, Dune. Uh, so they go, and he and and he knows, and the the Duke knows this. He's not an idiot. He goes. They go because they're assigned to. They have to. And uh, he tries his best. He tries to unite with the native population there, which is the Fremen. Um, that works, but then uh, before they can really make use of that partnership, uh, the Harkonnens attack with with the sort of like Delta Force of the galaxy and basically destroy the Atreides. And we we and we a lot of the main characters, Duncan Idaho included, um, Everett Spoiler. Oregon, die Duncan uh, Oregon in this in this process. So can I stop you real quick? Because that was a really, really good explanation of a very complicated plot and story. And again, I want to just emphasize credit to Villeneuve because that is all made, that's all very clear in this movie. Yeah. So I think that's a huge credit to it. But go on now. I, I you know, I want to, I want to hear more about what your thoughts on like, what is this? So then under, underneath it, there's the Benny Gesserit who is this like religious force of witches who are influential in politics and um, are also trying to shape things to their will behind the scenes. Um, and one of them is uh, Paul's mother, the the, the Duke's con- concubine. Uh, and they are part of their like decree or whatever is to try to find or nurture or create the one, which is this prophecy that there is this person that will be born who will unite the galaxy and save everybody. Um, And Jessica, uh, Paul's mother thinks that she has given birth to this person and has been teaching him the ways of the way and the voice, which is the Bene Gesserit religion and power. Um, And, thus believes he is this savior who we've been talking about played by timothy chalamet played by who may who may in fact be the savior right two times no no we're talking we're talking about in real life yeah yeah i mean he's certainly saving movies these days Um, next week we'll be reviewing the french dispatch i have a question about him what What did you guys think of his performance in this well, movie? That's that's interesting it because matter. I I yeah. thought like his 
Why does it not matter? Explain it all. Because the performances, I don't think, matter in this movie. I liked Rebecca Ferguson, but I'm not going to nominate her for a fixie. Like, if anybody in this movie gets nominated for awards, I'm going to be annoyed. Because they're all fine. They're all good. But this is yeah. there's not challenging acting in this movie. Well, I, I really want to go back to Chalamet, well, who here, we have, we think say, is like, like... What he brought to Little Women, I felt like, did not work here. Okay. When he comes right, up to Duncan Adams, he, goes, he goes, yeah, here. man, I've been having weird dreams, bro. And then he's like, yeah, and then and then Duncan I, and then <laughs> Momo's like, oh, hang loose, bro. And then they're like, the Atreides are attacking the Harkin. You know, it's like, like <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, they're like, <laughs> no, I'm with you, Chapin. And that's what I wanted to get to, because I don't think his realism that he brings to acting that we really, really like works here. I like I. I I don't think he's bad, but I don't think he fits the role. He's in a hmm. different. No, he's, no, he's, he's definitely different not world. bad. He's a like he's such a good actor that he makes it work. But I agree with you. Like his energy is he, wrong. He makes it work. Like. I'm not like distracted. I'm not like oh get a new actor. But I I don't think he's great here either. I think his 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 signature acting doesn't yeah. fit I mean, with what this world is i can't disagree i yeah there was there were no performances that distracted me in this i don't think um but i I, you know i don't know what's a movie like this where you're like that there were some great performances well i mean star wars like han solo is an amazing character like that's that there is possibilities for for great right but i don't know that his acting and jason momoa Jason Momoa is supposed to be like sort of the the Han Solo of this, but he just you know he's cool, he's fine, but he doesn't he doesn't elevate that that performance to something that's memorable. No, no, um, yeah, and I, I like I, like I said, I think Brolin is like a we like doing something very strange in this movie. Um, I, I I like I like Oscar Isaac. He, I feel like he's a little underutilized here, but like he just looks great. <laughs> yeah, he's he's actually re- probably the best performer. That's the one thing about this movie I would actually criticize is the performances in general. Yeah, that's not- what I was saying earlier, and you disagreed with me. Did I? Yeah. No, he would just. I I think. I don't think so. I think Jeremy was hoping, for the sake of the podcast, that you had like a list of like legitimate gripes. And when really yeah. it was just like the performances weren't anything. No, but to also write like, home about this. This the, the the structure and plot of this movie aren't like. I mean, the politics are very interesting, but it's a little bit like. And it's funny because my my friend Kevin, who loves doing and loved this movie, also is a big fr- fan of the um, prequels of Star Wars, which are all about like the politics of these universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these the, the politics of this of this universe, and I think that's what's really interesting about Dune. But it's not like the most emotionally compelling movie, and and that's but that is what Villeneuve is doing. Like he is making this an emotionally compelling movie, you know. Whereas the Lynch version is like, I mean, one, it's like just the worst exposition. It's exposition like the entire way through this movie, and it's. It's not, it's, there's all the performances are wooden. It's not emotional at all. This film is like, like you said, Lee, it's a little bit overwhelming at times. You got that Hans Zimmer score with the piano on fire on the beach. And, you know, the score is really, really good. It's, it's really excellent. Good. And, and it's the sound design different. is excellent. But, but yeah. you're right. Like, this is, a, he's Wait, after. So, so, Lee, you'd be annoyed if that wasn't uh, nominated for a fixie? 
I think the score absolutely should be nominated for awards because it's not just like a great Hans Zimmer score. That's not but an if you award on this. In this, I know it's not it? on the fixies, but if you pay attention to it, it's it's got all it's got like so many different aspects to it, right? There's like this choral aspect. There's this piano. There's drums. There's horns. There's like so many different scenes have different aspects and different touches that it it works really well. It's really interesting to listen to. Like sometimes I do think it's like overemphasizing scenes, which is like a cardinal sin of of Hans Zimmer, right? Like it it it's too big. It overwhelms the scenes and you could argue that's an issue, but the sound design, the cinematography and not just how the how the shots look, but the way that they're framed, I think are really really impressive in this movie. And yeah, like I don't Here's the thing, like, I I don't know that anybody can t- can come in with a straight face and say this movie isn't impressive and say that Denis Villeneuve is not a visionary and a great director. But my critique is that it's, this is going to sound weird, but like, is there too much good in one place at one time? And well, I- can can we like distinguish what we should be paying the most attention to. It's, and I think for the most part we can. It's a little but, bit like our question about Black Hawk Down, I think what you're identifying. It, so to me, is that like all of these elements are working towards, and, and I think Black Hawk Down is a, is a more emotionally engaging film than Dune, but this film, the, oh, what are all these parts working towards? You know, like what are they, what, what does this beautiful production design? What is this beautiful cinematography? You're feeling the moments. You're feeling the evil of the Harkonnens. You're feeling the overwhelming um, scale of Arrakis with the worms mm-hmm. and the, the desert and the, um, the spice, like all that. I love that. But how do those elements come together and make us have an emotional experience? Well, two two things. I think one is what I said before is that it hasn't happened yet. We're waiting for part two for that to really happen. But honestly, I think any emotional connection you have with this movie is owed to Rebecca Ferguson's character. Right. That's why I want to call her it the best. if you want to call it her performance, fine. But her character is so interesting because she is kind of the one person that is uh, along with Paul Atreides, but that is dealing with every, the both things that are going on, right? She's she's very she's married torn. To, she's a torn yeah. character. And look, like there's a scene where where Oscar Isaac talks to Timothy Chalamet, and he said, you know, Chalamet says like, "What if I don't want to rule?" And he's just like, you know, my father said the same thing. You know, even if you decide that you don't want to, you'll still. The most important thing is that you're my son. Uh, yeah, nice that moment, was a very right? like, like ah, don't uh, worry about it. Let's go watch football. We'll right, figure like, it out. <laughs> so. Like an eff- a, 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 an effort to like draw you in emotionally doesn't work quite as well as that mother son relationship that you have between Jessica and Paul and her battling both sides of like being being the Duke's wife and you know uh, playing her role in ruling uh, Arrakis but also kind of secretly teaching her son the voice in the way of of the Bene Gesserit and, you know, believing that her son is the one and that everything that she's standing by her husband for is pointless if she's right about her son. And that's where the emotion comes from. I think 
any any emotional connection you have with this movie is owed entirely to her character. But we're going to get to a lot more because I think Zendaya is going to play a huge part in the second role in the second movie as long with Yeah, along before with you get and, to that, I just want to add to your point is there's one one scene in particular where um I think this is most emphasized and I was kind of like blown away by this scene because uh Oscar Isaac asks her um don't let like or says don't let anything happen to my to my son and she's like I would never like she was just really quickly mm-hmm. I would never let anything and then he immediately said no I'm not telling telling you that as his mother yeah. that was her response was as a as a mother but as a what is it called Bene Benedict yeah yeah and then she all of a sudden closed in and and she couldn't answer the question and it really showed the the difference because as a mother she's going to protect him to the ends of the earth but but why wouldn't she as a benedict she know she believes she's the one if that almost makes you think uh, that because that supersedes it whatever that you know whatever that motherhood they, supersedes everything no no not the saying? mother no the Bene, Bene the Bene Gesserit. Gesserit. Yeah, yeah, supersedes it. Like she couldn't right. say that with that. So it it's in, it was interesting. Yeah, and you know, I think this is also something that I really was excited about that, you know, I was thinking about you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And I I remember leaving Fellowship of the Ring. You know, we knew there were more coming at the time, but I really loved that movie. It's still my favorite of those 3. But I think I have a m- massive, massive appreciation for that trilogy and what was accomplished by Peter Jackson and the crew and everything. And, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, okay, well, Fellowship of the Ring is my favorite of those three. Or you can say Lord of the Rings is an amazing achievement. I'm looking forward to when I can say the Dune series, the Dune t- movies is an amazing achievement. When you can see the whole story put together, and then when you rewatch it and you hear lines like that, Jeremy, and you see how that's played out over the course of two movies, three movies, or whatever it ends up being, and I can you can see the potential with this, which is really exciting. And I would I really hope that everything goes to plan and Villeneuve is is directing the second one, and. This work, this think, works. The vision is. works, right? I know he's. I know he's plans. I know that's the plan, right? But I hope that the vision comes to fruition because when that happens, like you, you do have kind of an amazing achievement, and I think that Dune is a piece of an amazing achievement. I don't think by itself it is one. I think it achieves some amazing things, yeah, but, but that's not the same. We're we're at least getting that sort of level of cinema. Where we can talk about, right? That we're about to have that sort of Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Yeah, but I'm very, I'm very dismissive of a co- some of the things I've heard about this being just like the greatest thing we've seen on screen in decades. Oh, I don't. Be- I haven't heard anything I, anyone I say that. Know that. I don't know that we can give it that much credit because we haven't seen it come to fruition. 
Yeah, it's not. You're right. It's not a complete story. I don't think we can hold that against. We can't hold well, that against them. I mean, if you want to evaluate, see, part of me wonders if we should a little. Why? Because I mean, they this movie isn't trying. Sure, this movie isn't sure trying to gonna... be anything more. No, it's not that. It's this isn't trying to be anything more. But like, I you do leave this movie being like shit. Like that's. I don't know. It's a very tough balance because like. What did I really want, right? Did I want this just, like, to rush through the story to try to fit it all in? No, not necessarily. I like that I it mean, paces itself and it gives us the information here, we need. But Here's the question. Have you seen a better movie this year? Because I certainly haven't. Um, did you watch The Green Knight? Uh, I'm three-fourths the way through Green Knight, and I don't think it's going to surpass this. Um, Green Knight is close. I, I, You know, obviously I haven't hunkered down, but... This is certainly one of the better movies of the year so far, but it ha- it has it has sort of these like non-specific flaws that I think kind of Chapin was alluding to. Like they aren't things that make it a bad movie, but they are things that prevent it from being a perfect movie or a great movie or how you know wherever you end up falling. I don't know. I'm not there. I didn't see those flaws as much. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I also wasn't distracted by as many flaws. Well, that'll be interesting, I mean, for- be interesting to see where it lands in the fixies. I mean, because we, we have 10 fixies this year. It's the same with the Oscars. Um, the Oscars is the same as us, you mean? The Oscars is the same as us. Yeah, they adapted our, our, our thing. Um, but yeah, like it, it'll be interesting to see where it lands. Like, I mean, I think this movie is extraordinary, but I, uh, and my point about what I introduced this with is that I just think like, it's not, it didn't blow my socks off emotionally. It didn't engage yeah. me emotionally in the way and, that like, and, I think a fixie winner, like, um, uh, nomad land did, you know, like where I was so surprised how my heartstrings were pulled in that film. And, you know, Mank, which was ultimately my favorite movie of that year, I think, isn't that same way, but it's a it's an intelligent movie. I don't know. It's hard to sort of parse I, I, that. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Chapin, because I think while Dune is likely a movie that we talk about on the Fixies, and this is exciting, right? Because we're we're entering that stage of the year where we're starting to talk about potential for these movies. But to me, at least right now, it does it feels like a movie that I am very willing to t- discuss come awards season and will potentially make some of my lists. But I, it, it does lack, and maybe it's that emotional piece, it does lack the things that I look for when I am definitively saying this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. So I think that's a big factor. And I don't disagree, enough. I don't disagree with that. Um Sorry, Jeremy. Go ahead. I don't disagree with that either, Lee. But I'm also really high on this movie right now, so we'll see. We'll see. You're high on spice. I'm high on spice, baby. Yeah. Give me that spice. I, I'll admit, like I've been watching it on HBO Max, and I'm liking it a lot more than I was having left the theater. So that second viewing is already making a big impact on me. I just think I just am finding that it's it's such a competent movie, and movies this big. Are, I don't want to say are rarely competent because that's not true. Um, well, maybe it's true. 
but movies it's difficult to make a movie this big in scale and also make it be competent there's very few directors that do that you know nolan can do that uh james cameron in the past has done that and villeneuve is proving that he is kind of the next in line here there's only so many auteurs that are given this kind of money to make a movie and and he is an auteur like his uh, movie for, sh- for sure he's worked with the three worked with three great cinematographers uh deacons greg fraser who shot this film uh and radford young on arrival and they all look have a look that is that works and it's not just the cinematography it's also the, the production design the sound design well, the music and he and he's unlike nolan who uh, and um some other auteurs, he's working with these different folks when he does it and on mm-hmm. different scales, which I think is kind of extraordinary. Yeah, well, he's he's a director we should start just considering like like when his there. movies yep. and his trailers come out, we're just on it. Yeah, if we're I not was already right there, yeah. He's yeah, yeah he's uh, I mean I and that's what I mentioned before, Chapin, about this movie. It's not just the cinematography, it's the framing, right? It's the way that these shots are composed, which a lot of credit for that goes to the director, but I re- I went back and I rewatched Arrival. I rewatched Prisoners. You know, I've seen obviously Sicario. I just is one of our favorites. Um, the other one of his I've seen is is Polytechnique, which is an early movie of his, which is all black and white. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is he's following the same the same path as Nolan to a certain no, extent, you know, right? He, Nolan interviewed and him for. Oh, excuse me, sorry, Lee. It's it's. Yeah, he's there. He's arrived at when we talk about the contemporaries, we're talking about Nolan, Tarantino, PTA, Fincher, Villeneuve. Like, right? Those are the guys we should be talking about now. Yeah, I I, I think another thing to point out that Nolan pointed out, I think, in his DGA interview with Villeneuve is uh that it's such a such a seamless transition from practical and visual effects. Like and this movie, I think, you know, this movie is extraordinarily entertaining. It's got a huge, it's got huge scale. It's got monsters. It's got, I'm sure some CGI creatures, but it's not, it doesn't overwhelm you. This doesn't have well, like sand, three... sandworms are real. Were they real? Yeah. I think Sahara. So. And Sahara. Sahara. Oh, cool. Well, that's cool that they use real worms. And that they yeah. got them on camera. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. No, but in reality, like you know, a movie like Avengers Endgame or, or whatever, like the gold standard is for visual effects these days, like has 2000, 3000 visual effects shots. Like this movie I'm sure has a lot, but it doesn't overwhelm you with what it can do. I mean, it's showing you scale in a way that I think is really smart, really smart. I mean, that's the thing that I question is that there were times where I felt like there was, it was overwhelming. The, the, the size of everything. Like it almost makes me wonder, I was like, why does that spaceship need to be that big? Like, now, the the flip side of that is like, well, if it's smaller, does it, what does that change, right? Nothing, probably. Well, I mean, I but, think that's part of the the subtext is that these are all, these like rich houses, like they've all profited off of spice and they're all like right. these rich colonists, essentially. I mean, I was reading about the writing of Dune and it's kind of, he, Herbert based this the guild and the 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 emperor the empire on the roman empire and the i think like 18th 19th century colonialism and you know you get that sense of like 
scale and 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 but yeah i mean in practicality like they go through a they essentially go that was the big thing in um <laughs> that i did appreciate some, some elements i did appreciate about uh, lynch's thing is that, is that you you don't move when you go through the the time space thing it's not it's you're not like going in a wormhole you just like pass through this thing and you're mm-hmm. there and so you yeah. you don't really need a big ship <laughs> right like do you i mean i guess you do but but you're not like going that far you're not like so what are some things just we rarely kind of do this and maybe maybe it'll be fun like what are just some things that like you guys really enjoyed like whether it's a scene or the way some way things that Villeneuve did things in this movie cuz i had a couple I mean, in mind like in particular i i liked the way he he handled kind of the manipulation when the voice was being used and like how characters moved and things moved. I thought that was clever, but the scene where they, they try to extract the, the spice miner when the worm's coming and the ship doesn't, the, the claw breaks. I was like, this is just like, like classic high stakes action scene. And I, I really enjoyed that. I thought, you know, they, they say, we're not leaving these guys behind. We're going to go get them. They have a limited time. That worm is coming. It's just, I just think that was, that was really enjoyable. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about more minutia than that. I was even no, no. talking. Well, tell of- me that too. I mean, just, I'm just curious, like, are there some things you just like really, really enjoyed about yeah, this Yeah, I loved how the helicopters moved. Yeah, those like, things that, that looked like bugs. That yeah, awesome. I loved that. I loved the scene where Jason Momoa just, for some reason, decided he wants to go outside that door and protect the Duke. I love that scene. Like, those yep. little things. So, and, yeah, and I think both of those are good examples of how Villeneuve is both a visionary and a a competent director for of action or whatever. Like, to create those, those helicopters is so, like, inventive yeah. and cool. Like... You know, you, you think just about used a helicopter. You think you about could've. how he's, yeah, but like Works it shows perfectly. you how much of a. I mean, even like there was there's a shot at the beginning where it doesn't really look like it, but I was like, this looks like Blade <laughs> Runner, and I was like, you think about Ridley Scott and how incredible it is that he like envisioned what we see in Blade Runner, and I think we see something similar from Villeneuve, right? He's creating out of thin air. And I don't know, it's hard to not really get excited about that when you have directors doing that. Nolan does it all the time and that's amazing, right? Like that's part of what we love about him. I I think that makes me think of what I what I liked a lot is is his I think it's hard to make a truly beautiful CGI shot. Like I think filmmakers yeah. and we can talk about it ourselves in that way like you know, films, you know how to make, you know how to film something that's beautiful with light and um, framing and lenses, but to do that in a digital world is tough. I think it's not easy to do. I think you can make something cool and you can make something fun and exciting, but they, he makes something truly breathtaking in the CGI here. And I think that is an achievement that not a lot of directors can say they do. I th- yeah, Chapin, that's a great point. We never talk about that because 
there's so much C- CGI nowadays that we kind of get it. We it kind of gets lost, and it becomes less of an art and more of a necessity for these movies. And Even just green here, screening, right? Like, yeah, and here they're taking the necessity. You have to make this CGI and making it an art. Which there's a signature shot in this movie. I think towards the beginning, Chalamet kind of like walking. I don't know across a beach or whatever, head down. You know, low angle, wide shot, and there's the, it's probably green screen, but there's all the ships in the air behind them. And it's just a, it's just a great looking shot. It just looks great. And it's telling because we've started to learn a little bit about this character. And I just think that's, yeah, it's a great point just to be able to, to put all that together and not have it be distracting we don't see a lot, right? We 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 talk about Jurassic Park a lot and how Spielberg was able to utilize the visual effects and the practical effects and it was never really distracting and it's still not distracting 30 years later nearly. And I think we're seeing that, you know, the modern version of that with with the stuff that Villeneuve is capable of. Like I don't know that he pulled that off in 2049. I think it's like sensory overload a lot of the times in 2049. There's some great looking things in that too, but you never feel like you're in a practical world necessarily in that movie as much as you do here. Yeah, I'll, I'm I'm very curious where this lands come fixy season with you guys because I, I I've, I've tell, heard the highs like and the lows from both like of you. Reveal it. We're already in that territory where we don't want to. Well, reveal I know, too much. I know, my opinions are going to change. I mean, especially especially movies that we get to see this early in Fixie season. Now, granted, Fixies didn't go into, happen until April last year, so I had a lot more time to revisit things. We're looking at the last weekend in February right now um, for, for in the Vegas. In Vegas. I think we've got a spot picked out. Um, so, but, you know, this I'll revisit. Green Knight, I'll revisit. Anything that... You know, I've seen up to this point that I feel like as a contender, I'll revisit. When we start getting into December and January, you know, those I might get one chance. But I know I'm going to revisit this. So that's why I'm hesitant to say one way or another where this will fall. You know, I've already started to, and I feel like I like it more. But you never know. You never know what will happen. Well, you've only got a I month can tell you, or, or three weeks or whatever, right? So I can tell you pretty definitively that no performances will make my top fives. Unless, unless supporting actress is a really thin category. And Rebecca Ferguson sneaks her way in. I don't expect that to be a case, but everything else is on the table for this movie. And that's exciting. That's exciting. That gets me gets my juices flowing for the fixies. My favorite time of year. Hey Chapin, you still with us there? I am. I was wondering. I'm watching it. I was wondering what yeah, you guys. Yeah. Oh, I was watching something else. <laughs> I, was I was just watching some. <laughs> Are you guys going to watch any Halloween movies this year? Is there anything you watch for Halloween? Uh, so Lydia's no. intent, because I was I was gone over the weekend, and and you know Miles was a bit of a nightmare. Um, my punishment, she said, is that I have to watch Practical Magic with her. Okay. Not, I've never seen that movie. It's got a good cast: Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Aiden Quinn. So that I'll be watching that probably tomorrow night. Um, we've watched Scream a lot in the past on Halloween. We like to watch Clue. So I've never seen Clue. I'm sorry when you come. What to visit. really? 
Clue's, Clue's not good. Never seen it. Um, I don't know that it's good or bad, but it's just a weird one that you haven't like accidentally seen. I'm sorry that you have to be punished <laughs> for coming to visit me. <laughs> oh, that's not it. It's that she was left with our four-year-old. That's what <laughs> That's what my uh, penance is for. What about you, Chapin? Are you going to watch a Halloween movie? I don't know. I mean, after my appearance on the horror drafts, I do kind of want to watch The Shining. I mean, I, I try to watch that yeah. every year. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, do you guys have any good recommend? I want to watch something really scary. I watched Silence of the Lambs on the plane on the way home. Yeah, that's more of a thriller. I, I, ha- I hadn't seen that in a long time. Uh, um, so, so Brantley reached out to me. Oh, he did. He didn't reach out to me or Chapin. We had yeah, to go to him. What rude. the fuck? You know, he reached out to me and wants me to be on the podcast, oh. but he's looking for a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have any, um, no, no, that's part of it. You could throw that's part him? of it. You have to come up with an idea. You have to come up with an idea. No, and no, I, encouraged no, I was him. hoping you guys tell me. I encourage Did you like to reach best horror movies by Scorsese. <laughs> I told him about, I told him about your fragile ego and, and that you, he needed to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. That's well, that's what happened. On that note, we should certainly recommend to all our listeners that they check out the horror draft podcast. Their most recent episode on horror directors features, your Chapin Hemingway, who I personally thought did an excellent job. Oh, and thank you. Like he gave me credit for, I think he kept up with the horror aficionados, Brantley and Nick. Um, it's a really fun podcast. Look, like whether you like horror or not, like I find it to be really enjoyable to kind of just hear the breakdown on these movies that I'm not real familiar with. And they make it very accessible, um, so well, also, I'd encourage everybody to check that out. They they are, I think we are well-rounded um, film geeks, and yep. they are like really aficionados in a way that I think we are not, and can offer so much like love and knowledge of a specific genre, which makes it yeah, particularly it's interesting. Incredible. I think. Yeah. Are um, they Jeremy, are they under the uh, get your film fix umbrella? Well, yeah, it's all part of the Get Your Film Fix podcast network. Good. Um, Wait, has everybody also, else agreed to the name of the network? Well, yeah, Steve Parkhurst and um, Oriana Schwint, who host the Mission Recall podcast, agreed in writing on Instagram DM that they are also part of the Get Your Film Fix podcast network. Right. So we encourage you to listen. Also, agree not to do to Armageddon because they're not allowed to do Armageddon. We're doing Armageddon. Well, if they do Armageddon, I expect to be on that pod. No, 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 so. no, Lee. You and I need to do Armageddon together. Well, we can do that and have them on. Perfect. So, Jeremy, the Mission you Recall also have podcast. to listen to both of our horror drafts episodes before you're on the other one, and I can't believe you haven't right. listened to them. That's fair. The um, it's only the, like a it's only like three and a half hours of combined podcasting of of listening to you guys. <laughs> so it's been an hour already. I'm like the oh. horror drafts podcast hosted by Brantley Palmer and Nick Schwartz is great, and Mission Recall, brand new podcast about '90s action movies, hosted by Steve Parkhurst and Oriana Schwint. We'd recommend everybody to check those out. They're great, and uh, as we continue to expand the Get Your Film Fix podcast network, we thank you all for listening. Chapin, you're supposed to be closing here. I apologize. but Jesus, you stole the first part of mine last time, and now you're sending the end this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then close it out. <laughs> Do your job. Uh, well, Do thank your you job. very much for that. Bill Belichick. 
do your job. Please get, please write us and get your film fix uh, to, at feedback at gyffpodcast.com or get your or feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you thought of Dune. We know you saw it. Everybody who we talked to this weekend saw it, surprisingly. So let us know what you thought. Get, send us a voice memo. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, um, that's the thing is don't tell us you listened to the podcast and you saw Dune and then not email us because we'll put two and two together there and realize that you either didn't see Dune or you don't listen to the podcast. Hmm. So you're a, lying to us on one front. That's pretty smartly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I got into the... Well, we can talk about the numbers later. But thank you so much for listening. Next week, we will be doing our Wes Anderson retrospective. Are we? Are we doing Last Duel? I don't know what we're doing. Just kidding. We're falling behind. We'll let you guys know. Love you. Have a great week. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.